This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 1305795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. Limited, AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode. We Ooh. are back. Apologies for the the break in programming last week. Hamish yes. can uh, can explain what happened there you've you've not been well right yeah i got sick again you know what's crazy i was thinking i don't know if this is just a coincidence but before covid i don't i can't remember a single time where i got a really bad flu like i've had colds and stuff but not like a Mm. flu where you have aches and you're out for like a week and since covid i think i've had like between covid and like flus i feel like i've had like maybe six or seven (laughs) really bad like like week to like well this one's been like 10 days and i'm still not even you might be able to hear it in my voice a little bit yeah still not 100 percent like like seven to ten day like fully sick. It's kind of crazy. Um, you so have I'm kind of been cursed. absolutely slammed with illness. Yeah, I sent you a photo of my eye. I haven't been sleeping as well this whole week. I sent Brandon a photo of my eyes, and they were just like red from just like no sleep. bloodshot. <laughs> so yeah, bad. it's hectic. You can yeah. see all the veins in your eyes. It's yeah, you bad. look very tired. Yeah, yeah hectic. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I on remember the you, you saying. Yeah, I remember you saying last week um, that this is like the worst one you've had ever. Yeah. And that you, there's just like, well, like, can we do the podcast? Like, can we, is it still possible? And you're like, dude, no way. Just, yeah. I could not do it. Yeah. So yeah, that's hectic. Yeah. You must've been really sick, but I'm glad you're on the mend. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's kind of a running running story. It's a it's, running it's, joke it's, it's between. Insane. It's like, Hamish is sick again. It's, it's Hamish ridiculous. is sick again. It's crazy. It's like, like even one flu a year is kind of unusual, I think. It's not normal mm. to get the flu every single year, I think. And I think I've had it at least twice this year. Maybe even, yeah. twi- I think twice this year and twice last year. Which is at crazy. Least yeah. Every yeah, single time I've traveled, every, to- every time I've traveled, I've gotten a flu. Uh, mm. and then I've had other ones as well, which is just, cr- it's just crazy. But anyway, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I'm 90, 95% better. So I'm, 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 I'm happy to be back doing something. Uh, the other thing is like when you're sick, it's just the worst part is that you can't do anything. And it just feels like I just mm. like, being able to actually like get back into the podcast and I'm making a video at the moment as well. is just, um, it's, I'm getting my energy back, just uh, being able to actually do something. So yeah. Good. Everybody on the other side of of this podcast is happy that you're back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy that you're back. It's good. What are we we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Well, I uh, what am I going to talk about? I am going to talk about SpaceX for a little bit because they have uh, linked up with the Pentagon to do something quite interesting. Right. Uh, we'll talk about Amazon investing $4 billion in uh, in a startup, which is pretty cool. And I wanted to talk about, so I'm making a video on this at the moment, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it as well. I'm taking a look at how much of the inflation that we've seen over the past couple of years has been a result of what people are calling greedflation, essentially just mm. companies just jacking up prices um, measure, measured by the increases in their profit margins. Right. So we'll talk about that because I want to get you a take on it. Yeah, um, but what are you talking about? Uh, we've got uh, an update from uh, McDonald's Corporation is doing something that they haven't done in decades. Uh, we'll talk through uh, some updates around AMC. This is a story from a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's still kind of relevant. AMC has their hands out again, begging once again for their for my biggest from, position from their investors. Both, yeah. The, the what is it? I think it's the official position of uh, the Young Investors Podcast, right? I think it's <laughs> <laughs> something, something like that. 
And, uh, and uh, oh, eBay dear. wants to do parcel delivery a new way. Uh, so we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk through those stories. Okay. Nice. So, Very cool. Well, with that said, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of financial data and company filings. And manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors at seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days, I believe is their current free trial. But also uh, if you use our link, you'll still be able to get, I checked it this morning, uh, a $50 off coupon off your annual subscription. So again, uh, as I've said, I actually, again, I don't know how long they're doing this promo for. They said a couple of weeks and it's already been what three, four weeks. So I'm guessing it's probably going to end soon. Maybe not, but um, yeah, go check it out if you, if you haven't already. And as always, thanks to everyone who um, signs up um, to, to these services um, through our links and is, is supporting what we do here. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, $50 off, get it while you can. Um, I don't know about you, but um, like this is obviously we're sponsored, but uh, this is not really, <laughs> I'm not being paid to say this. Yeah. I, out of all the kind of subscription uh, stock analysis things, I definitely use Seeking Alpha the most. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you use it much. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah, but I use it like all the time. Yeah, it's Seeking Alpha. It's just very convenient. Seeking ten, Alpha ticker, I, get, I like yeah. the 10 years. I like the 10 years of everything just right there in yep. front of you. makes it very easy. Yeah. Yep. Seeking Alpha and Ticker, I would say, are probably the two services that I right. use the most. Um, yeah, Ticker's for, good. For all kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Seeking Alpha, particularly for like uh, just news for uh, around companies uh, and analysis yeah. around companies, you get like this, it's a massive cu- community of people who are just actually analyzing individual companies. And it's really good if mm. you, and you can sort by like, um, people who think that you should, that it's overvalued, for example. So if you're like looking yeah. at a company and you think it's good, you can look at all of the negative arguments and kind of flip the- And invert. And invert, exactly, which is kind of a big mm. part of value investing. So that's probably the main yeah. thing I use it for. Ticker's good. Ticker's more the 13, for the 13Fs. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's good because they you can see the international, uh, hold, uh, well, not all, but a lot of international holdings of the big uh, super investors as well. Anyway, sorry. Uh, drifting off track, where would you like to start today, Hamish Hodder? Um, let's, uh, let, let's start with McDonald's because uh, McDonald's right. is doing something that they haven't done Mac in is. almost 20 years. McDonald's. They're getting a bit greedy. They, uh, McDonald's Corporation has raised their service fee or their, their royalty fee that they charge uh, their franchisees for the first time in 17 years. So um, wow, it's been, a, it's been a while since they've uh, yeah, made a change to this fee. And, and maybe to give a bit of context around McDonald's business model in case um, you're not super familiar with it. Maybe you you know a little bit about this if you've looked into it or maybe you've watched The Founder, which is a great kind of uh, movie documentary kind of around how so good. McDonald's turned from just being a, a, a one restaurant owned by a couple of brothers into uh, the massive kind of franchise uh, chain that it is today. Uh, but about 95% of all McDonald's stores, of, of the 13,400 uh, McDonald's stores are franchised, which essentially means that they're run by independent operators who pay an upfront fee. So they pay an upfront fee to McDonald's uh, and then they are essentially able to run and operate their own McDonald's restaurant. So all of the revenues from selling burgers and fries and everything, and then all of the expenses for the cost of food and the staff are all on the franchisee. Um, So Mm. if that's the case, then how does McDonald's Corporation make money? Well, they really make money from two ways, basically. One is they collect what's called a service fee or a royalty on the revenues of the restaurant, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. So they kind of take a piece of the revenue off the top. Uh, and they also operate the supply side of the business. So all of the food, the supplies, and even the rent is paid to McDonald's Corporation. So McDonald's Corporation owns the land, for example, uh, and they own the supply chain for where the lettuce comes from and where the chicken comes from. And the franchisees actually then go and buy all of their supplies and things, such as the burger buns, for example, um, from McDonald's Corporation. Because a big part of what McDonald's is is everything is uniform. So, you know, mm. the buns are the same, the the size of the patties are the same. Everything is the exact same. And the way that they're able to manage that is they control the supply chain. Um, all yep. of the franchisees buy the exact same burgers. They're not, they don't have kind of their free choice mm-hmm. of, of which burger buns they're going to be buying or something like that. 
Um, yeah, as we know, the idea is that no matter what McDonald's you go to, a Big Mac's going to be a Big Mac. A cheeseburger's going to be a cheeseburger. Yeah. 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 Exactly right. So yeah, those are the two ways that they they make money. But yeah, today we're kind of talking a little bit about the the service fee um, or the royalty on revenue. And historically, or at least for the last seventeen years, uh, it has been four percent. Um, so they you know they take a piece, not an enormous piece, but they they take a reasonable piece for themselves for essentially the franchisee being able to uh, market their restaurant as a using the McDonald's brand, the value of the brand, and, and what we know you know how powerful that is. Uh, this week, they've increased it to 5%, which, you know, right. might not seem that bad, um, you know, 4 to 5%, only a 1% increase, but it does just basically mean that restaurant margins for franchisees have gone down 1%, which restaurant margins are already fairly tight for restaurants. You don't tend to see, you know, restaurants delivering, you know, 15% margins or 20% margins. Usually they're quite thin because there are a lot of expensive components. The food is very expensive. Beef, for example, is incredibly expensive and going up and labor costs have been really, really high. Uh, Mm. So it is just an added cost for franchisees who don't really get anything, you know, in return for that. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I would imagine, I'm wondering how this works because I would imagine a lot of the franchisees already have like contracts with McDonald's that yep. like locks in 4%. So is there like once, does a contract last for a certain mm. amount of time and then it rolls over and then it's then it's the 5%? Mm. How does, did they talk about that? Yeah, so that's the, that's the silver lining. And that is that this actually only applies to newly franchised restaurants or when there is a change in franchisee for an existing restaurant. Right, so okay. this won't actually affect the, the, the current franchisees. You're right. So um, they'll still have their 4%. But if a new franchisee takes over a previous McDonald's or a new McDonald's is, is built, then that person from now on will be charged 5% instead of the previous 4%. So the economics essentially for new franchisees is maybe a little bit worse. Although maybe you could argue that um, the McDonald's brand has grown in value in the past 17 years. So, you know, that, that's the give and take, yeah. I guess. Do I'm just wondering, and I'm not sure if you if you know this, do franchisees have any wiggle room in terms are they allowed to set prices to any degree or they have to run with the prices that McDonald's tell them to I'm just trying to think yeah, if there's any variation in no. prices from McDonald's I don't think there no, is is no. there as far as I'm aware at least through McDonald's I mean it varies from from chain to chain but I'm pretty sure with McDonald's it's it's standardized through McDonald's right. corporation McDonald's is yeah. kind of a lot of franchisees have a lot of restraint on um, uh, on their franchisees, but uh, McDonald's is, is renowned for, for having everything done by the book, like the, the way yeah. that they train staff, everything is very much, uh, it's very restrictive. Um, so there's yeah. not actually that much wiggle room that the, the, the franchisee can do in order to increase business or anything like that. So I would assume mm. pricing falls, follows a, a similar, um, yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, interesting to be expected, franchisees are, of course, not um, very happy. Uh, McDonald's Corporation has uh, almost doubled its profits since uh, 2010, uh, mostly on the back of increasing uh, per restaurant sales. So the restaurants have been uh, raking in more and more money uh, every every year. Uh, and yet, according to National Owners Association, which is a group that represents franchisees, uh, they were quoted saying, franchisees are making less money per restaurant today than they did in 2010, which is kind of crazy. Um, so mm. from, from the franchisee perspective, it's kind of McDonald's maybe kind of exerting um, their force kind of on, on, you know, on both directions. Because, yeah, we spoke about the, you know, they are increasing this royalty fee and they haven't increased it for a long time, but they also own the other side of the balance sheet, right? They, they own the supply side so they can increase the costs for the business, which is mm. essentially the same thing as increasing the, the, um, the, the royalty fee. So there's a, it's an interesting um, dynamic uh, franchisees mm. and a lot of the time they, they're not run very well. We've kind of seen, um, we've seen our fair share of, of, um, poorly run franchised model businesses. I think McDonald's is mm. probably one of the better run ones. I think the economics aren't terrible for franchisees generally compared to others, but, um, yeah, interesting to, to see them make this I move think- now. Even though it's very restrictive, part of the success is that everything's done by the book. Yeah. So and but, and it um, leaves less less room for error, I guess, right? Like individual operator error. Um, yeah. Like you know, 
may, maybe restrictive means you can't try things you would like to try in your restaurant, but it also means, um, you know, you're not going to make mistakes that, uh, yeah. and, and you, you know that McDonald's is working very hard to make sure that their restaurants perform very well. And, you know, the enormous marketing budget that they throw at, um, mm. you know, year in, year out all around the world, that's going to draw people into your restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's an it is an interesting business model over o- overall, though. Um, obviously, you'd yeah. hope that most of McDonald's increase in profits comes from just them expanding the number of stores, and you know them becoming a bigger a bigger brand, and you know more people going to McDonald's. But you're right; the other way that they can increase profits is by looking at the at the poor old franchisees and going, yeah. hey, 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 cough up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. But that I think I think it's it's there's a reason why for how long did you say 20 17, 17 years, years? Yeah. 17 years they haven't increased that cost is because you know they if if you start to make the deal worse yep. for franchisees then less franchisees are going to jump on board which means there's going to be less new McDonald's opening up so yeah but then maybe they've hit a saturation point where they're just like you know what we can start to we're at the end of the S curve of growth. We can just start to monetize more and more. We've yeah. locked in a certain economic moat. There's a certain number of businesses that are just not going anywhere. We can just cha-ching, cha-ching. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's a tricky bit, right? Like uh, pretty much I'm sure most people listening to this, um, there's a McDonald's every two kilometers. Yep. <laughs> you know, you're driving down a main road. Oh, I'm there's one. Over there. Oh, there's yep. one. Oh, there's another. So it's, uh, yep. you know, a- end of every um, freeway exit or highway exit. Yep. Um yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, and I'm sure there's countries where they're maybe still expanding um, and testing, you know, trying to get the menu right because the menu can't be exactly the same as America or Australia, you know, in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you got to imagine they're kind of near the end, which is probably why this is uh, a change that they're making. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, any anything else on the old McDonald's topic? No, that's it. That's it. Yeah, um, McDonald's in a in a beautiful segue. Guess what I got the other day? I got a Happy Meal electric scooter oh. that is um, that is uh, is that is made by Segway. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, what? It's so weird. Um, so for those, that, maybe if you're a longtime follower of the podcast or or the channel, um, I I moved into my apartment, which I've been waiting forever for. And hooray, yeah, hooray, <laughs> finally, finally. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I, I'm very excited. And um, and with each apartment, I totally forgot about this, but with each apartment, they just give you an electric scooter. <laughs> really? So, I, I, yeah, I walked into the apartment, like, looking around, oh, yeah, it looks good, looks good, and then I just walk into this box, which is sitting in the living room. That's I'm like, sick. what the heck? And then it's like, electric scooter. <laughs> Wait, so is it like like one of those ones you would rent, like like a lime scooter, like that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, that's yeah, sick. Yeah, that's, that's really yeah, cool. it's exactly like that. But that's the thing. I don't know. I, I'm scared to use it because I don't want it to get stolen. Like, where do you put yeah, it? You, you have to keep it with you. Like, I could ride it to work because I could leave it in the office. But if you can't, mm. like, take it to the shops because you just, what? You can't take it into the shops with you. No. Can you get, you like, a leave chain? It outside. Can you get, like, a lock for yeah, it, like a bike lock? Um, yeah. I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure you could. I'm sure there's a locking. I haven't really looked at it yet. Yeah. But I'm like, how can you lock it up? You just put it around the handlebars and then someone just comes and puts it over there you have to like wrap Jink. it around or something <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. it's a lot of that happening around in canberra that's for sure when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, but anyway, that, that's that's my fun little bit of news. Nice, uh, nice segue. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now now the not so nice segue. I'm just going to start talking about greedflation. <laughs> now I want to get I want to get your um your opinion on this. It's quite an interesting topic. I think we can maybe have a bit of a bit of a discussion about it. So I think as as a bit of a setup. We all know that there's been a ton of inflation lately over the last couple of years. There's been so much inflation. But a lot of people 
um, have been, you know, complaining that they think it's just corporations being greedy. Um, so, and that they've just been jacking up prices and making themselves richer. And really that's where the inflation's come from. It's not any to do with anything else. It's just greedy corporations. So I thought that I'd have a bit of a look into it. I am making an in-depth video into it at the moment, but um, <clears throat> I found a couple of things which I thought was interesting. So there's this article from uh, the Economic Policy Institute, right? And they noted, that, by the way, these figures are a couple of years old because they were looking at like the heat of, of um, inflation. And as we've seen over the past 12 months, I think, or even maybe longer than that now, inflation's just been coming back down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, this article from the Economic Policy Institute, they noted since the COVID recession um, in Q2 of 2020, up until when the article was published, um, overall prices um, in the non-financial sector, so just like uh, goods and services, um, rose 6.1% annually versus 1.8% price growth annually from 2007 to 2019. So, yes, we've definitely seen a lot of inflation in goods and services. And then they had a look at where that inflation has come from. And what they found was that 53.9% of that more recent high inflation has come from an increase in corporate profits, whereas only 11.4% of the inflation from that previous period, the low inflation, was from increasing corporate profits. So we've got higher inflation and over half of that inflation was from rising corporate profits. They also noted um, labour costs and um, materials costs. So labour costs in the recent period of high inflation only accounted uh, about 8% only accounted for 8% of that price rise, whereas in the previous period of low inflation, uh, 61.8% of that came from increase in labour costs. And then in the recent period, uh, materials costs account increase in materials costs accounted for 38% of the inflation versus 26.8% for that low inflation period. So there has been a rise yeah. in materials costs a little bit, not, not like crazy, but what... What is interesting is that labor costs make up a very small portion of that price rise. Yeah. And corporate profits make up a massive chunk of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting to see. And I, I've I've heard this argument. I don't know if you have more to say first, but Yeah, I do. Yeah. It is um but, Oh, you you want to go ahead first? No, 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 no. To, to, no, we'll talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it comes down to this argument kind of comes down to I think a just a misunderstanding of what inflation is and where it can come from it can of course come from the supply side and we've seen a little bit of that uh but we've, we've also got to remember the big push of, of why inflation kind of started was was all of the money printing that happened because of covid and that means that there's just more money in the economy chasing the same amount of goods so when you say mm. corporations are being greedy it's like well corporations will always raise prices as 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 long as there is demand to support it and they can't yeah. just raise prices infinitely because there's competition. So there is a competitive lever there. But if even all competition is raising prices and there's still enough money chasing all of those goods, then that's what inflation is, right? That's the yeah. value of the dollar declining because there's more of them in circulation. So yeah, I, I think it just comes to a misunderstanding. It's like people separating inflation from corporations raising prices. No, corporations raising prices is inflation. If they're able yeah. to do it and the demand supports it, that's just what inflation is. But it it is tricky because we've we have spoken a lot about supply side inflation. So I think it's led a lot of people to believe that inflation only comes when businesses see increases in their costs. And that is a, that is a thing. If they see increases in their costs, sometimes they'll pass those on to the customer. But there's also demand side inflation. And we've, mm. yeah, I, I don't think it's really surprising uh, that, yeah, corporate profits are going up a lot because um, think about all those stimulus checks. That was just new money that they just, yeah. they just printed into and, and put into people's, in, into people's pockets. Uh, all that money's got to go somewhere, or it's probably going to go somewhere, and it's 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 flowing into you know supermarkets. They're able to raise their prices, and it, it sucks. But um, 
that's you yeah. know that's what we did, right? We 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 got stimulus checks for COVID, and now we're unfortunately we're going to see the other side of the of the you know the reaction to to what we did. Yeah, I think the re- the reason that this gets really interesting because there is two sides of the argument. There's the there's the price gouging side, yeah, and then there's the well, hang on, corporations are always going to raise prices if they can. So yeah. why did we give them an environment where they could do that? Yeah. Um, and I think when you keep breaking it down further, it really goes to it gets a little bit political because mm. um, it gets it gets down to a level where the the question is is it the corporation's job to self regulate prices so that they can make sure that everyone can afford groceries or blah blah blah? Is it is it on the corporation to do that? Or is it the corporation's job to maximize their profits in order to re- uh, um, reward their shareholders? And th- this gets quite political, but um, the, the reality is in the system, in the free market capitalistic system that we operate in, um, it's the latter. Like the job of the corporation is to try and maximize the returns for their shareholders. Obviously, within the bounds of the law, like you have to pay people fairly, you know, all, all this sort of stuff. And yes, companies, obviously, they make some sometimes bad errors, bad errors in that regard. But in our system, it, it's true that they're, they're trying to make money for shareholders. And if they can, you know, raise prices because the demand is there, yeah. um, our current free market system says they should do that. So it's kind of interesting. It gets back to something more political where it's, yeah. it's do you believe in the system? Yes. Um, yes. Because exactly what exactly what you're saying Hamish, like if corporations if there's demand, corporations will raise prices. Yeah. So is it actually back on the people who or the institutions who made it possible for the corporations to raise prices. And when you look at it through that lens, then you see the $4 trillion of money printing by the Federal Reserve. And you're exactly right. That money is designed, like the reason they printed it is to push it into the economy, to support the economy in this time where COVID was hitting and every everybody was locked down, people were struggling. They injected that money, they either gave it to people or they invested in infrastructure. They invested in you know job creation or just giving people money to buy food. Yeah. And then that action has then caused an environment where corporations can raise prices. Mm. It's very interesting. Yeah, it um, is. And I, it's important to remember these things work in cycles. So at the moment, let's take Woolies and Coles, for example. At the moment, how are they increasing their profits? Well, both of them are just raising prices. But there's a limit to that. There's a point There's, 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 a, there's a point at which that doesn't work anymore. So then what do they do? What does Coles do? Coles goes, hang on a second. If we lower prices a little bit, we can take market share from Woolworths by undercutting them on some of these generic goods that they also sell. So then they'll compete on price. And then Woolies will go, hang on a second, we've got to match them on price, right? So Mm. these things work in cycles. At the moment, both of them are raising prices because there is this huge amount of money going in. But people are struggling and there is a cost of living crisis going on. Uh, And eventually there'll be a point at which the way that Coles and Woolies will will be able to make more money is by taking customers from each other. Um, mm. So these, these things, it's, it's not as if it's just, you know, all lose. Um, certainly, you know, having just two big supermarkets is worse than if there was like five or six. Certainly, like the more competition there is, the more like the, the less likely it would be that we've seen like the price increases on groceries, for example, because there's mm. more likely to be one player who's willing to lower prices to try and get more of the market share. So it is, you know, you, in duopolies, you, you tend to see a little bit less of an efficient market than, than if there's more competition. Um, but, um, but yeah, what we're seeing right now is, you know, likely a, some kind of a short-term phenomenon um, as a consequence, as like an aftershock of, of the pandemic. That's pretty much what my video is about. So I'm glad yeah. that you agree with me. <laughs> uh, wait and see for that video. No, um, it is an interesting topic. And, you know, I'd be interested to just hear the general consensus. Like, what do you guys think? Um, head over, you know, leave us a comment on the YouTube version of the podcast and let us know because uh, I'd be interested to hear what you guys say as well. Um, but with that said, we'll wrap up our little chat on greedflation. 
Hmm. Um, Hamish. Yes. What do you want to talk about? Let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about AMC, our favorite uh, our favorite movie chain that doesn't exist in Australia, <laughs> but <laughs> but it is the stock sponsor of the Young Investors. But no, it's not. Um, no, it's not. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like how that's our running joke. Every time we're talking about some speculative gambling stock that we would never touch, so yeah. it, it becomes the it's the sponsor of the <laughs> yeah. It's the our official, biggest investment. The, the official, official cinema chain of the Young Investors yeah. podcast. Yeah, exactly right. Um, no, so the story is a couple of weeks old, but I thought it was still interesting because um, it is. I, I think it is interesting to kind of follow up on uh, uh, s- some of these companies that were so hyped, uh, or some of these stocks, I should say, that were so hyped kind of during the 2021 kind of meme stock mania. Mm. Um, so let me give like a, I'm just going to go through a quick timeline because it really helps to understand what's happening right now. So I'll go through like a quick history of, uh, of, of AMC. So okay. uh, essentially- Movie tickets sold in the US have been declining since around the year 2000. So since 2000, there's kind of been this declining interest in in going to the movies. Um, 1.6 billion tickets sold in uh, US and Canada in 2002. In 2022, the number was just 800 million, uh, about half as many tickets sold. Um, And you might wonder why. Well, there's really two things, I think. One is internet and streaming. So in the early 2000s, bandwidth got strong enough for people to pirate movies and then eventually Netflix came along and provided a pay solution for streaming content. Um, so that obviously just started to dwindle the interest, but then also maybe even more importantly is television and home theater technology has gotten a lot better over the last two decades. Um, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you can get pretty good speakers and a reasonable TV and set up your own kind of reasonable home entertainment setup with streaming and everything now for not all that much money. Um, Mm. So both of those two things have dramatically accelerated the improvement of the home kind of theater experience, I guess. And, and that's reduced the demand um, for, for going to theaters, at least on a ticket sold basis. Um, AMC's revenue has been growing over that time because they've been able to raise prices and, you know, those uh, popcorns and, and, and ice creams have not gotten cheaper. (laughs) That's always that's always going to be a running joke, isn't it? Just this tiny little popcorn for like twenty five dollars. It's hectic, man. It's crazy. Yeah. But they've but got to do it. They've got to make the money somehow. Um, yeah, I know. And 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 yeah, I mean, uh, theaters generally are making about fifty percent of the box office revenue. They're splitting the box office revenue with the th- with the um, media companies. So um, you know, as as people you know do come into the to the theaters and and, and spend money on popcorn and higher ticket prices, they uh, they've continued to grow their revenue. News. but uh they've always been kind of barely profitable um like if you look at their profitability it's like one year they lose money one year they make money one year they lose money it's always been kind of a not that good of a business um barely is kind of scraping through and then of course uh the 2020 pandemic hit and they lost uh and you know theaters were shut down and they lost 4.5 billion dollars in a single year mm. um which is uh which which was pretty big um bang yeah. And since then, um, they've not been able to turn a profit. So the stock mm. was down 95% from 2015, uh, for, sorry, sorry, from its peak in 2015 to a low of $15 in January of 2021. <clears throat> Jeez. Um, that's rough. So they were just, you know, in a nosedive, <clears throat> yeah. basically heading towards bankruptcy um, at the start of 2021. But then, but then, the, the meme stock mania and the Redditors on Wall Street Bets came out of nowhere and saved the company. <laughs> yeah, they did. Absolutely. Some, some crazy people came together on Reddit. And, uh, and you know, we've, we've all heard the GameStop kind of short squeeze. Mm-hmm. And uh, AMC was next up on the, on the list. Uh, straight after the GameStop short squeeze, everyone was like, okay, where's the next one? There's got to be one more. It can't just be GameStop. Yeah. Um, so they, they, tried to, they, they tried to do it. Um, and essentially the stock squeezed from $15 per share in the, at the start of January to $460 in six Oof. months. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you bought right at the low and then sold right at the high, which I don't think anyone's ever done in the history of the stock market, but if you did that, you did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very well. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Not, not too, um, not too shabby. 
Um, and essentially, how, do, how does this affect the company? Well, the company was able to capitalize on the hype by selling shares during this time. So while there was all this hype, they're like, why not? Mm. We'll, just, we'll just create a bunch of new shares and we'll just sell them. And um, people will buy them because there's a bunch of hype. And they were able to raise $660 million uh, during, <laughs> the, during the meme stock hype, which is crazy, right? It's uh, an enormous amount of money that just didn't exist. Like that was an impossible amount to raise before the hype. Then there's a bit of hype, a bit of speculation. Yeah. $700 million just falls in their lap. It's um, just crazy because it's like a, I don't know if self-fulfilling prophecy is quite the right word, but it's like it goes down so much and then all of a sudden it gets squeezed up and then because it gets squeezed up and it's a meme stock they print you know they issue new shares and they get a whole lot of money and because they've got a whole lot of money it's like oh they actually like they might be all right because they've got a heap of money now and then it's like oh maybe the stock is worth you know a little bit more than whatever it was when it was 95 percent down yeah yeah (laughs) it is kind of funny right like uh, near the verge of bankruptcy but now they've got a bit of money it's like oh can they actually survive um (laughs) so yeah they raised 660 million then a couple months later they raised another 587 million in june (laughs) for a total of 1.2 billion dollars they raised uh, in six months, basically. That's this hype, ridiculous, which man. Which is absolutely insane. Um, so, yeah, they, they, you know, it's just cra- crazy, crazy, crazy they're able to do that. Uh, unfortunately, in 2021, the company lost about a billion dollars. <laughs> so, oh, so, well. so they raised 1.2 billion, but they burned it very, very quickly. <laughs> just raise, uh, just issue some more stock. Just do it again. And that brings us <laughs> to 2022. <laughs> We're not we're not uh, quite at the, the news from a couple of weeks ago, but we're, we're working our way there. So in 2022, mm-hmm. they created uh, what's called a preferred share, which is kind of a mix between a bond and a share. I won't go through the, the details of explaining in this, but it's it's yeah. got elements of a bond and a share in it. You get like a fixed dividend instead of a variable one, that kind of thing. Uh, and yep. they they called these shares uh, ape shares. A P E were the were the the, the ticker symbol. Um, which, you know, is a just, they were just targeting this at Redditors. They were just like, basically had the megaphone out. Like, please, Wall Street bets, come back, (laughs) buy a little bit more. (laughs) Like, please, like absolutely begging, um, like blatantly just begging for them. Like it's called ape shares. Like no one, I don't know, maybe some institutional investors bought that, but, um, no, no I I, I don't know. (laughs) How do you sell that to your clients? Like, yeah, we're going to buy some Mm. ape shares. We're going to buy some (laughs) Tendi shares this week, diamond hand shares. Like what? Like, like, how do you sell that to clients? Oh gosh. Um, but anyway, so um, they they did this, and of course, um, it was successful, but not as successful as the previous raises. They raised 162 um, million dollars, um, and oh. because at this time the stock had already been collapsing back down, so their ability to raise is is, is dwindling, right? Because right. if the stock price yep. is at a thousand versus ten dollars, uh, at a thousand they just have to issue one share to get a thousand dollars, whereas at ten dollars they have yeah. to issue what a hundred shares. So yeah, the, the the dilution, dilution just, just gets insane. Uh, gets insane, uh, and there's other restrictions which I'll talk about is kind of relevant right. in a little bit, um, but. Uh, yeah, so like on one hand, the ape shares are just kind of goofy. Like they're, they're kind of just funny. Like one one hand, yeah. it's just kind of funny to chuckle at that. Like, oh yeah, give them a go. Like maybe they can raise a bit of money and survive a little bit longer. But on the other hand, it's kind of sinister, like why they were actually created. Um, so management can't just issue any amount of shares without shareholder approval. There's, there's, there's limits on how many shares they can issue. And if they want to issue more, they have to get a vote. From, from shareholders. And after yep. the meme stock mania where they raised 1.2 billion and then a bit more from the ape shares, uh, that actually reached uh, the, the limit of how many shares they could issue. Oh. So CNBC reported a couple of weeks ago that they basically created these ape preferred shares as part of a move to trick investors into changing the corporate voting structure and getting voter approval to sell more shares. Uh, and last week, or it was so a couple of weeks ago, um, they actually put this into effect and I, I, I couldn't f- fully figure out the, the explanation for this. They did some lawyer corporate voodoo. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know right. actually how they, how they did this, but they used some, some technicality in order to find a way to raise uh, and sell another 40 million shares. 
So they they basically use the ape shares to uh, as oh. as some package in order to change the corporate voting structure. So it was like a it was like a red herring. It was like a it was like a false oh. flag in order to allow them to raise more shares. And I don't know the details of this. Maybe someone understands it um, better than I. But I, I tried to look into it and I couldn't really figure it out from the publicly available information. But investors were not happy because investors thought Uh-oh. that they couldn't raise any more shares. They thought we're not going to get diluted. Um, my mm-hmm. one share is you know one share. It's not going to be half a share tomorrow. Um, right? Wrong. So, <laughs> wrong. Yeah, they raised yeah, they raised another 40 million shares uh, and the stock fell 40% in a day. Uh, and uh, really, as of the last month, the stock is down 75% just in the last month. And that's on top Ooh. of an enormous uh, collapse um, that's already kind of taken place. So, yeah, it's, you know, it was nosediving. It's nosediving now. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, if you zoom out to the five-year chart, if you're looking at that, and I'll just kind of explain yeah, it yeah. for everyone else, uh, the recent decline, the stock's actually at $8 per share, which is meaningful. Because if you remember a little bit earlier, you might've remembered that I said that the bottom before the meme stock hysteria was $15. So the stock is now 50% below the bottom before the hype. So even if you picked the bottom before the, the short squeeze, you're, and you held till today, you're down 50%, which is a, that's a mind blowing thing. And of course, if you picked, if you picked up AMC shares anywhere during the hype, you're down like 90, 95, 99%. Um, yeah, that's hectic. Which is, which is crazy. Uh, and which is why I want to talk about it because it, it I, it, this story wasn't that big of a deal to me. It was like, okay, they're raising shares again, you know, surprise, surprise, they keep burning cash. Um, but to see that the stock is now, so far down, um, even yeah. much worse than before all the hype, meaning the pessimism about the survival of AMC is, you know, at an all-time low, essentially, or the pessimism's at an all-time high. Um, crazy, dude. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so they, there you go. That but they, they got it. meme they... stock has deflated. What did you say? I said that meme stock has deflated. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, mm. it's deflated. The balloon, yeah. The balloons, the balloons gone. It's uh, yeah. that has that bubble has popped. Yeah. Wow, crazy. man. That what a crazy story that is. Yeah, that's why I wanted to give what? a bit of a timeline because you to appreciate like you have to kind of like view it as like a full picture. It's just in, it's an insane story. It's almost more insane than the GameStop story. Like GameStop gets like a yeah. it's it's front and center. It's got a movie now. I can't remember what the movie's called. Dumb Money or something like that. I'll yeah, to, that's right. I'll have to yeah. go and see that at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, AMC's story is is really funny. I mean, I didn't even include everything. They they the CEO bought a gold mine at some point to capitalize <laughs> yeah. on on that hype. It was just, it's just a disaster train wreck of a company. Uh, that's and now it's getting what it deserves. Yeah, pretty. I mean, pretty pretty much. Um, so yeah, crazy dude. There you go. Crazy. There you go. All right. Should I um <clears throat> should I take. Oh, now I'll talk about, we spoke about AMC, which went to the moon. And now I'll talk about an actual company that wants to go to the moon. Wow. Well done. You're on fire today. Absolutely on fire. <laughs> that was a sh- that was a crack. <laughs> that was such a bad segue. Uh, no, uh, it's not even, it's got nothing to do with the moon, but it, it does have to do with SpaceX. Um, SpaceX wins first Pentagon contract for Starshield. It's satellite network for military use. Okay. So I thought it was quite interesting. The Pentagon has awarded Elon Musk's SpaceX its first confirmed contract for the Starshield network. It's developing a military-specific version of the company's Starlink satellite internet system, the defense agency said on Wednesday. So <clears throat> for those that are unfamiliar, um, uh, Star. I was almost said Starfield. I've been playing too much of that game lately. <laughs> Whoopsie. Um, Starlink is essentially just um, heaps, thousands and thousands of really small satellites, internet uh, satellite internet, essentially. Um, but the, the 2023 version of it, um, thousands and thousands of little um, satellites that get shot up. Um, by SpaceX's rockets, and then they disperse and they form this grid of yeah. uh, mini satellites around the Earth, and then how that they... can just. Sorry, yeah. All I was gonna say is how they shoot them out. Looks, have you seen that video of like how yeah. the rocket like shoots them out or whatever, and they they're like they come out in a line. It's so yeah. cool. It's very cool. It's yeah. kind of weird because it's also just kind of like, 
ah, that's that's all it is. Like yeah. they don't have little thrusters or something. They literally no. just fling them out and fling then they em. just slowly disperse over time. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what Starlink is. So essentially this star shield is the same thing, but it's for a uh, military application instead. So right. they're going to sell it to for military purposes. Um it says on the uh, in a previous uh, article that the company markets Starshield as the center of an end-to-end offering for national security. SpaceX would build everything from the ground antennas to the satellites, uh, launch the ladder with its rockets, and operate the network in space. Um, so a Space Force spokesperson confirmed that SpaceX on September the 1st was awarded a one-year contract for Starshield with a maximum value of $70 million. The award came alongside 18 other companies through a program run by the Space Force's Commercial Satellite Communications Office. The company unveiled Starshield last year as a new business line. Uh, the Pentagon is already a high-value buyer of the company's rocket launches and had shown increasing interest in its Starlink satellite internet. SpaceX has given few details about the intended scope and capabilities of Starshield. It markets the service, yeah, as what I said before, the end-to-end dedicated offering for national security with capabilities distinct from a Starlink uh, consumer and enterprise network. Uh, so um, are these actually different satellites or is it just a different service on this network? Like... That's a or, good question. That is a I, I, good I would presume question. it's just a service on the same satellite. I think it could be. Or I don't know if they need to make any hardware changes. Because uh, that's the thing about... I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's the thing about satellites, right? Hmm. You need to make sure the hardware you've done your digging on the hardware before you send it up because once true. it goes up, you can't, you're not yeah, updating it. It's up there. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Cause it was star Starlink was always intended to just be consumer internet. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if they need to add any other hardware or whether it's software is enough, but um, that's actually a good question, whether they're going to be new satellites or the same ones. And I don't have the answer. I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Maybe you can look it up while I'm talking. Yeah, I'll see. Um, but yeah, um, do, 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 do. SpaceX, uh, SpaceX's award for Starshield follows its June win of a Pentagon contract to buy an undefined number of Starlink ground terminals for use in Ukraine. The initial phase of Starshield contract uh, obligates $15 million to SpaceX by September the 30th to provide services that support 54 military mission partners across Department of Defense branches, the spokesperson said. So there you go. SpaceX winning another Pentagon contract for Starshield. What'd you find, Hamish? Anything or nah? Nothing. You know, all of this reminds me of, um, if anyone's seen Altered Carbon, (laughs) they have like- I um, haven't. You told me to watch it, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, they have all these satellites that literally looks like Starlink, but they're all like in this network controlled by the government and then they can like- they can like laser, they can like kill people. Oh, right. <laughs> so it's like this, it's like, it is like a big internet network that everyone's kind of hooked into and like everyone's mm. tracked and everything. And just seeing like pictures of Starlink, it looks exactly like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh no. It's like, put, don't Wait, put a gun on a laser. That. Yeah. Is that <laughs> I've just got a turret on all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that's not the military application of this, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, dear idea. Well, that's, I kind of like, I remember when Space Force was announced and we were all kind of like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, we we're all just kind of having a laugh. Yeah. Um, but it, it, in a weird way, it kind of is the next level of military dominance. Yeah. Because if <laughs> like, it's pretty sad to think about, but if you can have a whole bunch of nukes, just floating around in space, mm. just orbiting the Earth, and you control them. And, you know, whenever you, you know, someone wages war on you, you can just fire up one of the nukes up in space and shoot it down to Earth in five, three minutes. Yeah. Well, then- during during the Cold War, I think the US, they, they just always had a bunch of planes flying around Europe with nukes in them. Like they, right. they just had a bunch of planes up there just so they could be really quick if something did escalate, which is yeah. kind of what you're describing. It's like having like the ability to just have them like above the enemy. <laughs> like, I mean, you know Hectic. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. So definitely, yeah, having that, that kind of space dominance 
Um, you know, I don't like thinking mil- militaristically. Is that hey militaristically? But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, if you can dominate space, then yeah, yikes. Um, anyway, that's all I had to say for <clears throat> SpaceX. Um, what should, what should we move on to next? We've got maybe um, 12 minutes, 13 minutes left. Okay. I've got a quick one on uh, eBay. This is a very, very short um, story, but I thought it was kind of quirky. So okay, I thought cool. I'd include it, but they, they want to like do a quirky parcel, story. They want to do parcel delivery a new way. Um, so they, right. uh, they actually filed a patent uh, this week for public transport facilit- uh, facilitated drone delivery. Um, Wait. So what? what public you, transport facilitated <laughs> yeah, what, drone delivery. What, what do you What do you think that means? It, <laughs> I, I'm imagining like I'm getting on the bus and <laughs> I can't find a seat because there's a drone in the seat with a package. <laughs> Pretty much. Public transport facilitated drone delivery. Or I like I'm hopping on the tram and then just as I hop on the tram and just like yeah. a drone just flies into the tram yeah. with me. <laughs> or a Tesla bot just gets on, is just holding a parcel and just <laughs> stumbles on. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Good day. <laughs> Try and take the parcel and it fights back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just kills you. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't mean that. But no, I mean stranger it, things have happened. It basically, I mean, it doesn't mean that Tesla bot, but yeah, that's basically it. Uh, the system would uh, essentially uh, access public transport information such as bus routes, uh, subway stops, or train uh, train times, and find ones that match up with its delivery location. If the public transportation route aligns with delivery, the system would send a drone to the public transport terminal, i.e., a bus stop, uh, communicate the fact that there's a delivery to the bus driver, and basically hitch a ride. <laughs> that's great that's so um, good so essentially the drone would uh with a package would attach itself to the top or side of the bus so not inside the bus okay so they're not flying yeah. drones into the bus but on top or uh to the side then follow the bus route to the closest stop get off fly the remaining part and deliver the package that's great i <laughs> so love the, that so that's uh, why not the bus is already going that way yeah. So, so, so there you go. Um, and, and of course the, the reason they're doing this is the hope is to save battery on the drones, which is kind of a difficult part of it, of the process. So they can obviously yeah. have the drones basically shut down or very low power while they're on the buses and then, and then they can, uh, and then fly off. And I, yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting. First of all, can, how can you patent that? Like you patent yeah. like a drone using public transport, like it's public transport. You would think like if a company's going to use it, other companies should be allowed to use it too. Like, how could you, how could you have like, yeah. we're going to patent an exclusive relationship with the USPS or like a OzPost. Like, yeah. that seems like an odd, like, uh, we're going to patent the front seat of every bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're taking that. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're advanced booking <laughs> 10 <laughs> seats on every bus. <laughs> um, uh, you can patent anything these days, Hamish. Yeah. Well, yeah, evidently so. Evidently so. Um, so they, they, that's basically the story. But obviously, the, this is kind of just one company who's also doing kind of research and development in, in drone delivery. We have Amazon, which has something called Prime Air uh, for drone delivery. Uh, they actually announced it in 2013, and they'd hoped to have done 6,000 deliveries by the end of that, uh, 2022. They've done 100 deliveries. So not, you know, too much going on there. Uh, nice. And then uh, Google has a dr- drone delivery uh, investment called uh, Wing, which does some deliveries for Walmart in Texas. Uh, but no one's really figured out drone delivery yet, but everyone's kind of big not companies yet. are, you know, throwing a little bit of money at it to test it. Um, mm. I, I just think, I think that you really have to be careful with this drone delivery stuff because it needs to be... Uh, the, the thing is, is if this really takes off, you can have a lot of drones flying around. Imagine the noise. <laughs> yeah, the noise, but also just the fact that if something goes wrong, mm. if you have like a thousand drones flying around a city, okay, one in a thousand could have an issue, right? Yeah. Like that's maybe statistics. Maybe it needs to be more than that. Maybe it's 10,000 drones flying around. Whatever the number is, you're eventually going to have enough that the probabilities are that one's going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. And when something falls out of the sky and hits someone, it's going to kill them. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just, interesting. It's like, um, it in a way, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like cars in, in a way. Uh, mm. Because, you know, when, when, when aut- the automobile industry was blowing up, that, that was kind of the same question, right? It's like, well, hang on a second. Everyone's driving these rust buckets around drunk as well. 
you know, if one in a thousand yeah. people crash, like yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's like a, it's like a social kind of trade off. It's like, are we really, are we going to allow that for the benefit? Is it, is it worth it? And obviously the, the stakes are different maybe with, with drone yeah. delivery. It's like, we don't really need to deliver things with drones, whereas cars were a bit more important, I guess. But, mm. but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like, yeah, well, you're basically accepting that there's going to be a level of harm and that's yeah. like the, you know, there is a trade off there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but this is this is the reason, the same reason why um, flying cars will never exist at a, <laughs> at, a at a at a wide scale. They just won't. They do, just won't. Do, do you remember um, Uber was like working on um, like those little like those little like flying cars? Yeah. Do, yeah. do you reckon that's yeah. ever going to happen? Do you reckon that's never going to happen? Well, it it, it might happen, but it, it's it, it'll be more like helicopters. I mean, we mm. already have flying cars they're called helicopters true yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but no it, i it, it'll never happen not just free for all like get no, out of, get it'll out never happen because yeah. then like what if you know jim down the road decides he wants to service his flying car and you know then all of a sudden he's just taken the highway to work yeah. um the highway in the sky and you know his dodgy mechanic ability <laughs> and it's his drone just falls out of the sky and it kills like 50 people yeah the equation is so much worse than like the driving yeah. equation like not even people drunk just like car breaking down is like yeah maybe just killing a bunch of people instead of just pulling over to the side of the road yeah exactly yeah so that's that's the single reason why flying cars will never exist but um what was i saying? yeah i yeah i do like this idea if they this this makes it more more plausible if they just from a I don't know from a delivery or a distribution center the drone flies to a bus stop and then it sits there yeah. and then it tags a ride so it's on the ground essentially until it gets to the end and then it has to hop just a short distance I think that makes it like I th- I think it's a cool idea I think it makes it more likely for something like that the only problem I have what happens when <laughs> inevitably the package is sitting at a bus stop waiting for a bus. That just never comes. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, do you have to go and pick up your delivery from the bus stop then? Yeah, yeah, so true. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that'll be interesting because yeah. I don't know public transport. I don't know if it's like this wherever you guys live, but in Australia, I think it's unreliable it's, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if, iffy at the at the best of times. But anyway, yeah, yeah. But there it's a go. cool idea. I can't. That's a, it gives me a chuckle. It's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah, maybe someday. Kitchen ride. Maybe yeah. someday. <laughs> Oh dear. All right. All right. What if we got? Um what else should we talk about? Uh, we'll talk about Amazon real quick and yep. then move on. All right, Amazon, I don't have too much to say on this. Uh, e-commerce giant Amazon on Monday said it will invest up to four billion dollars in artificial intelligence firm Anthropic and take a minority ownership position in the company. The move underscores Amazon's aggressive AI push as it looks to keep pace with rivals such as Microsoft and Google. Uh, Anthropic was founded roughly two years ago by former OpenAI research executives and recently debuted its new AI chatbot called Claude2. Um, Amazon is looking to capitalize on the hype and promise of so-called generative AI, which includes technology like ChatGPT, as well as Anthropic's Claude chatbots. Uh, the, two firms confer- uh, the two firms on Monday said that they are forming a strategic collaboration to advance generative AI, with the startup selecting Amazon Web Services as its primary cloud provider. Anthropic said it will provide AWS customers with early access to unique features uh, for model customization and fine-tuning capabilities. Uh, Anthropic will also use custom AWS-designed semiconductors to train the foundational models that underpin its AI applications. Foundation models are large AI programs trained on vast amounts of data so they can be uh, adapted to solve a wide range of tasks. So I think at this point we all know about NVIDIA's success um, in the space, but to an extent, uh, Amazon's deal with Anthropic aims to show that there are alternative chips that can be used for AI applications. So Amazon as well is is really trying to step into this zone that so far I guess they've had AWS and that kind of thing, but we haven't heard as much kind of AI buzz with Amazon as what we have with Nvidia and Google and yeah. um, and Microsoft and that kind of thing. But yeah, they're yeah. definitely uh, leaping in with this four billion dollar investment. Yeah, uh, and it, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I'm sure there's probably a, a lot of. Uh I mean, they just don't want to be, yeah, you don't, I guess any, any big corporation like that, like you're talking about Google, Microsoft, they've just got so much, 
they're spending so much money behind the scenes on just making sure they're on the next big technology. Um, and we don't yeah. see a lot of it, but AI is obviously pushed through um, the rest of it. So yeah, it makes sense to, to see this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have too much more to say other than it's just an interesting bit of news. Um, AWS customers will be able to build on Anthropic's AI models via Amazon Bedrock, a service that lets customers build generative AI applications in the cloud via existing models rather than train their own models. Amazon is looking to position itself as a one-stop shop for AI. The e-commerce giant designs its own chips for training huge AI models. Through Amazon Bedrock, customers can also design their own generative AI applications using existing models, which are all run on the Amazon cloud. Um, The company sells its own AI applications too. Anthropic already counts some high-profile backers, including Google and Salesforce Ventures. This support comes as tech giants continue to make massive bets on AI companies, a move sparked by Microsoft's multi-billion dollar investment in ChatGPT mm. um, yeah, I mean, or OpenAI. The money's, yeah. the money's flowing to AI companies it already. Um, so yeah, the interesting thing to see will be how much of this is is value to, to, to mm. Google to be in these positions and to Amazon and to Microsoft and how much of it is hot air that they're just willing yeah. to fork out to you know, make sure they, it's like a bet uh, so that they don't miss out on or fall behind. Um, mm. I guess we'll see. I don't know. We, we might see a, a period that go of, of a kind of a tech, you know, an internet bubble 2.0, but in an AI bubble, we might see something like that as the, AI, yeah. as the technology evolves and as businesses like Anthropic, which, yeah, what did you say? Founded two years ago, I think. So, you know, mm. AI, AI companies are very young at the moment. Um, so as we see them ramp up and more of them go public, you know, we'll see where the, where the yeah. level of hype is. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, I find it kind of interesting tracking back like important moments in history to like what, what's like the point that mattered. And it's interesting that this whole AI, like even if it's completely hot air, like mm. even if it is, the, it's crazy that that inflection point was literally just Microsoft and OpenAI releasing ChatGPT. Like that was the inflection point. Before that, we didn't really care that much for AI. As soon as that happened and we saw that it was, you know, it could do some remarkable things. It was like everybody paid attention. (laughs) It's like that, that, that right there was the inflection point. Whether AI is this massive thing in the future, whether it's just sparked a whole lot of useless investment that's just (laughs) going to be burnt cash. Yeah. uh, It's interesting that that was the point where things changed. (laughs) Yeah, it, it is. It's fascinating. Um, I yeah. think it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah sorry. Oh, all, all I was going to say is it's, it's just, um, it's an, e- it, people can now understand AI. I think like a, the, like a, mm. a language model is like a really is a way for people to actually, under, oh, okay. I get it now. I, I kind of get what AI is, whereas before it's kind of, and you know, people still, I don't really get what I, how it actually, you know, kind of works. No, but, I don't know. But it, how it, it, actually it helps, works. it helps yeah. people understand, oh, I see it. Same way in the, that mm. the internet probably felt like, okay, so it's like this peer to peer global network like probably felt a little bit foreign but as soon as it's like oh well here's email for example where you can Mm. send a message and it goes instantly it's like oh i get it now so it's like it's it's kind of a moment like instant messaging exactly it was like a moment like oh now people can actually kind of see like where it's maybe where it's going like oh i can i can i can see the path so yeah yeah definitely yeah i think yeah that moment instant messaging was the the moment for uh, the internet where yeah. it's like, Oh, where everybody's like, that's the inflection point. Yeah. That's what, you know, the internet is really yeah. useful because of that. And then you can yeah. think, well, okay, well I can send a message. What else am I going to be able to send later? Oh, I'm going to be able to send yeah. maybe photos and then I can send video. Like I can watch TV or what. So just, that just opens up your mind is like, Oh, yeah. I can see it now. It's the same thing with, with chat GPT. Did you see, um, I think just recently they did an update you can like take photos now and, and it'll like look at the photo and, and use it in the context of what you're describing. I saw like a demo of a person changing the height of their bike seat or something. And they were able to take photos of the bike seat and it was like, ChatGPT was able to point to where they needed to <laughs> change. Really? Um, and then you, they even took a photo of like their toolkit and it told them which tool to use. <laughs> oh, that's hectic. So, so it's pretty cool to see it like evolve now to being able yeah. to do, recognize some things visually. Um, and then eventually, I guess maybe you'll be able to video live kind of what you're doing and it'll be able to give you feedback, which is kind of crazy. It's crazy how quickly it's shifting like already. Can you imagine like if, if, if 
the AI was a person. And it's like <laughs> doing all these complex like equations, like, oh, I can 287 of a thousand divided by the square root of blah, 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 blah. And it's like times this and the hyperbola and this and this. And then some guy's just like, hey, what what do I use? What what tool should I use to change me tire? And then the AI is just like, spanner, dude, look, the just there. Anyway. <laughs> be funny to see it get like sassy over time. Like, ugh, like it adds like, ugh, to it, like some of its responses. Like, come on. Yeah. It's not a, like, really? It's like, Google it. <laughs> this all, yeah, this is all humanity has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're asking me that? Didn't you learn this yeah. in primary school? Yeah. Yeah. Turn it off and back on again. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, dear. Uh, that's funny that's funny anyway crazy yeah crazy crazy well we shall see where it goes yeah uh, do we have time should we do one q a question before we bounce yeah let's do uh yeah let's let's sneak one in here um i'll just ask right. you this first one um sure. hey guys warren buffett has said to people should just buy the s&p and dollar cost average uh we all know past performance isn't indicative of future returns what are your thoughts on investing in international etfs don't think we've answered this before maybe we have i'm not sure yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I th I think it, you know, each to their own. I'm not going to uh, like give a certain opinion on 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 any sort of stock, and it it I just say you have to revisit what your strategy is. Um, if you really, I think if you really understand what you're trying to achieve or what's what sort of investor you are trying to be, then what you end up investing in becomes a lot more obvious. So, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, you could ask me, what do you think of Google? Uh, I could say, oh, it's, it's a good stock for a certain type of person. Um, or you say, what, what do you think of an S&P 500 index fund? It's a good stock for a certain type of person. So it's about whether uh, it's, a, I don't think I can really add much, like, what do you think, what are your thoughts on investing in international ETFs like international ETFs could be great. You know, if, if you, if you live in India and you can see the Indian economy and how it and you understand the factors and you're looking at a, an emerging markets ETF, then, okay, that might be a, a stock that, that sits in your circle of competence. If you're living in America and you just want to be a passive investor, maybe an S and P 500 index fund sits in your circle of competence. If you're in Australia, maybe the ASX 200 uh, index fund sits in your circle. So I think it's, you know, it it really just depends on who you are, what what where your competencies lie, yeah, and also what you're trying to achieve as an investor. Yes, but I have no I have no like problems with international ETFs. Um, yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. I think it just depends on your personal objectives. I, I mean, if, you, if you're someone like Ray Dalio, for example, who's kind of a big advocate of diversification in almost every way possible, like across currencies and, and asset classes and countries, then yeah, you probably want to have a mix of, of not just American ETFs, American companies, but uh, companies internationally on emerging markets. Um, so, so that's, you know, one approach or, you, you know, Warren Buffett is pretty much only invested in American companies. And obviously he's picking individual companies, but that's just like a different example of like, you know, people with two different, very different objectives. Um, you have one guy hmm. who's trying to pick American companies that he thinks are undervalued and another person who wants wide diversification, exposure to everything. So if money flows out of the US into international markets, you don't just lose because you only own the S&P. So it, it just depends on your objectives, I think, and yeah, I mean, I'm not a not a financial advisor, so I'm not going to advise you on. <laughs> this is general advice. What, what objective right to have? <laughs> yeah. That's what I have to say now. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. general advice, and it might not be right for you. Yep, exactly right. It's a part of being. But but in conclusion, um, AMC don't say. Stock. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you coming a mile away, Amish. <laughs> God damn it. Let's end it. Yep. yep. Let's let's peace out. Thanks, guys, for for tuning in. As we always say, we appreciate the hour of time that you give us each and every week to to, to check in and um, and have a yarn with us or listen yep. to us having a yarn. Um, thanks, Hamish, as always for for joining me. And, no worries. Um, I'm glad you're feeling a bit better, dude. Yeah. I'm in all seriousness. I'm glad you're on the band because. <laughs> 
you were yeah. not looking good for a while there. So we, yeah. we do apologize that there was no podcast last week, but hopefully you understand. Yeah. Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have liked last week's podcast if no. it existed. You yeah. would not have liked it. It would have been hapes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah. Anyway. Pretty much. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in, everybody. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. See you guys. See you guys.